Welcome back to episode 16 of What the Hell Just Happened? Surviving or Trying to Survive the Rhode Island Family Court. We put this together. I'm Timothy Sweet. I put this together as a, a hope and a prayer that I could be of some assistance to some people, some poor souls out there who I hope are listening and benefiting from this, who are trying, just trying the damn best to get through the family court system in the state of Rhode Island with as little stress and as little expense as possible. And while that seems uh, unlikely at times, I'm here to tell you as a family law attorney with about 10 years experience, it's, it's, uh, it is not. If you make the right decisions, avoid some common landmines, you might just find yourself surprised at how well you are able to make it through this process and rebuild and resume and begin again with your life with a, a little bit more control and, and peace of mind. So that was the hope. This is for the, the DIYers, the people who are trying to make it through without <clears throat> having to hire an attorney. So today, of, uh, of all the topics, I wanted to get into something that I'm asked the most often by people who are trying to file either a divorce and be making the complaint if the divorce, if you file the divorce first, you have filed a complaint or the counterclaim, whereas if, you know, your spouse files a divorce and you also want to file for a divorce, that is called a counterclaim for divorce. Or if you have to file something, if you're not married to your ex, but uh, you guys broke up and you need to figure out custody of a child or relocation if the child's moving, child support, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on. More or less, any pleading, anything you file, in the family court of Rhode Island, you are going to have to also file as a secondary document what the clerks and the lawyers and the judges call the DR6, or the Statement of Assets, Liabilities, Income, and Expenses. It is some uh, 11 pages long. It should take you, if you're doing it on your own and you have collected documents beforehand, strike that as 10 pages, and you've collected documents beforehand, it should take you uh, 80 minutes, 8-0, if you do it the proper way. And I'm hoping that I'm be able to take you through what that proper way is with this recording. So again, the DR6, the Statement of Assets, no one likes it. Everyone has to do it. Think of it as an errand, just something you have to get through in order to get your case filed or your response filed, get yourself to court properly so you're in the right position when you get there. And um, it's just... One of these things you got to do if you want everything to go smoothly, or at least as smoothly as your particular case can go. So breaking it down by section, page one, section one, personal information. That's pretty straightforward. Section two is just health insurance. That's also pretty straightforward. Section three at the very top of page two, you will come back to section three at the very end after you've done the rest of this wonderful errand, you'll come back and tabulate all of your sums and totals in section three, which brings us right to section four, gross income. For section four gross income of this form, you must list all income sources you have in the monthly column. If you're paid weekly, you have to use your gross income only. So if you're paid weekly, grab your pay stub and Multiply your weekly gross income per the pay stub times 4.3, not times 4. 
the family court insists there are 4.3 weeks in a month, so you will multiply by 4.3. If you're paid weekly, you're gross, and that'll be your monthly income. If you're paid bi-weekly, grab your stub, get your gross, please, 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 only your gross income. Multiply your gross by two, since you're bi-weekly, that'll get you to weekly, and then multiply that figure times 4.3 to get your monthly income. Now, you're going to want to use a pretty standard run-of-the-mill work week for this calculation. If you worked a ton of overtime uh, over the holidays or over one of these uh, school vacations, you're probably not going to want to use that pay stub. That wouldn't be fair to you. And on the same token, if you just got back from Cancun on a vacation and you had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, but you worked Thursday, Friday, you're not going to want to use that pay stub either. You're just going to use the most vanilla, average, run-of-the-mill pay stub that reflects what just a grinded-out typical work week is for you when you make these calculations. If that doesn't work for you, if you're a commission or bonus dependent in your, if you're in sales, say, then you can use your year-to-date whenever you sit down to fill this out, if that's the pay stub you have. And you're going to want to list every source of income you receive at the moment you sit down to fill out this awful, awful form. So you can see A through Z here on page two, section four, gross income. At the top is your standard W-2 wage. And then as it goes down, less and less and fewer and fewer of these will apply to you. If you have income from real estate you rent out, you will fill that, we will determine the rental income for you at the very end. And then you'll have to double back to this section and then scratch in that accurate figure where it belongs on this page. Please, please be as accurate as you can with your income. Income is critical to determinations of child support and alimony. But as we'll go through with the rest of the document, even more so, your gross income and how you fill this form out, the care you take, your accuracy, uh, is all, it all speaks or potentially speaks to your credibility before the judge. And there are no juries in family court. You're just going to have a judge. And once you have a judge, you're probably going to have the same judge throughout. So you don't want to anger him or her or give them apprehension about how you're treating this process. So please be careful, be accurate. You don't have to know everything to the penny, but the judges and certainly the lawyers will appreciate your attention. And again, the DR, the financial form is a snapshot of you right now. So if you sit down on a, a Tuesday and you've just been laid off and you're expecting unemployment in the next 10 days because you haven't received that unemployment benefits check yet, you do not list the, unemployment's ben- the unemployment benefit in that column, excuse me, in that row for gross income. Because you haven't received it yet. It's a true snapshot of your life as it exists then. Moving on, expenses. Expenses is where this form really gets its reputation. Three pages, 67 different rows of every possible expense anyone could possibly come across in their day-to-day life. Some of these will not apply to you. That's fine. If they don't apply, leave it blank. But... For the ones that do apply to you, you are going to want, again, to be as accurate and thorough as possible. 
Is your case ever going to come down to what your water bill is? No, but you will sign this at the end under oath as an affidavit that this is as true and accurate a representation of your expenses, income assets, and liabilities as you could possibly figure. So think of it less as the importance of your renter's insurance bill being accurate and more of you taking care to protect your credibility before the judge. Again, with expenses in Section 5, you're going to use the monthly column regardless of whether you pay something monthly. So your electric bill is easy. You just plug in your electric bill, an average electric bill. Uh, If you have central air or air conditioning, you don't want to just use July because that'll be a spike. But if you kind of average out January and July for your electric bill, you can get a fair average. But other other rows such as uh, gifts, uh, veterinary care for pets, anything you give to church or charity, etc. Sometimes those are paid semi-regularly or even once annually. It doesn't matter how you pay it. You just take the depiction of how you pay it and you break it down into the monthly column. Your expenses must be listed monthly, like your income, as accurately and thoroughly as humanly possible. Again, if you do not pay something, leave it blank. If something doesn't apply to you, that is perfectly okay. This is not a quiz. There is no right or wrong answer other than to say that if you are inaccurate or you fail to list an expense or you're exaggerating expense for alimony purposes or whatever your intent is, then that can certainly get you in more trouble than it could possibly be worth when it gets to your court date. Once you've listed as accurately as you're able, your expenses in the three pages of section five, you are through kind of the heart of darkness of the jungle. The expenses is the worst part. You can move on to assets. For assets, it's helpful if you have online banking, you have online access to your retirement funds. If it's not a pension, we'll deal with pensions later. If you have what we call a defined contribution plan, such as an IRA, a Roth, or a 401k, and you can access it online or with a, by phone, that's great. If you can have those records and you can, be, you can know to the dollar what your bank account or accounts and your contribution plans are worth, and you can just plug those right in. And again, every bank account is fluid, but if you're sitting down on 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, then you, the court wants to know what a snapshot is of your bank accounts at 11 a.m. on the Tuesday when you sat down to fill it out. Trust me, the judges understand that bank accounts are fluid. For some of the other stuff, for the value of your home, say, if you own real estate or rental estate, and your car value, your life insurance value. For those, for the home, uh, at this early juncture when you're filling this out, you can probably use a Trulia number or a Zillow number. No one really expects you to run out and pay to have your home appraised to determine to get a, an accurate figure of its fair market value. A little bit of online research you'll do for now at these early stages, less whatever the mortgage or line of credit is. And same for the car. For your car, you can just use whatever the Kelly Blue Book or other reputable businesses say that your car is worth, giving its condition, year, make, mileage, etc. You're going to want to tabulate the subtotals and add all of these up. If you have an asset, but it's never been valued, so like if you have a small business, 
that you've operated for five years and you have absolutely no idea what it's worth, you have to list the business, but you should list the value as unknown. Lastly, your debts or liabilities. Again, if you are... uh, if you're good at online banking or you just kind of know your finance as well, this should be pretty easy. You list the debt, the nature of the debt. If it's a student loan, credit card, personal loan, or a tax debt, you owe to the Fed or the state. How much you owe, etc. And then the notary, you will sign this. You have to notarize it. Again, you're, this is you telling the court under oath that you've listed all of your expenses, all of your income. You haven't left out, intentionally left out a, a pension or a bank account in the Cayman Islands. And that this is as accurate and as thorough a listing of your financial life as you can possibly get at this uh, at the day and time you fill this out without having some professional such as an appraiser come in and help. If you need to, if you have rent, real estate that you rent out that you don't live in, you can fill out the, uh, the page nine calculations yearly, come down to a net monthly income. I know for all other incomes, we use gross. For real estate, we use net. One of our quirks. And then you go back and plug that into number two, section two for the, uh, excuse me, section four for the income. Finally, when you've had all that fun, uh, you get to pour yourself a nice glass of scotch, do all your tabulations, and add all the sums to section three. So I hope with this short description, on this podcast that this errand has gone from being overwhelming and confusing to uh, just a bit boring and tedious because that's the best we can do with our financial form. This is Timothy Sweet. I'm a family law attorney in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, Again, I set this up, this podcast up, in order to try to help people through the family court with limited stress and expense. To that end, if you want to reach out to me for a topic that you would like me to cover, it's Timothy at SweetFamilyLaw.com. Sweet is an opposite of sour. 401-340-1600. I hope that there's some benefit to this, uh, to some of you out there from this. And again, I'd be happy to get feedback and cover any topic you would like me to discuss, assuming I can break it down into a 15, 20-minute tutorial. Timothy Sweet, thank you so much for listening. I hope I've been helpful, and I'll be back soon.